As we continue to talk about the heart of Jesus, let's talk about uh, his heart in relation to, to generosity. As we hear from Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth. We're going to start in the eighth chapter. And I'm going to take us through verse 9, okay, because there's something here I want to, to lift up. So hear now the word of the Lord. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been granted to the churches of Macedonia. For during a severe ordeal of affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For as I can testify, they voluntarily gave according to their means and even beyond their means, begging us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in this ministry to the saints. This is not merely as we expected. They gave themselves first to the Lord and by the will of God to us so that we might urge Titus as he has already made a beginning so he should also complete this generous undertaking among you. Now, as you excel in everything in faith and speech and knowledge and utmost eagerness and in our love for you, so we want you to exceed also in this generous undertaking. I do not say this as a command, but I am testing the genuineness of your love against the earnestness of others. For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Yeah, uh, there's a lot going on in the background of this text that needs a little bit of explaining. So that, let's do that because I think it helps us in regards to what Paul's doing here. Paul, in this letter to the church at Corinth, or letters to the church at Corinth, is dealing with a lot of conflict. Can you imagine a church being in conflict? Nah, nah, that, that never happens, right? Yeah, yeah, but this church in Corinth was in conflict about a lot of things. They were mad with each other. They were mad with Paul. Uh, there was a lot that was going on there, and Paul wrote these series of letters that we call the Corinthian Correspondence to deal with these conflicts that were going on in the life of the church and between him and some of the members there. But in the background of all of this, and this is what kind of Paul's addressing, is there this greater conflict that's going on in the early church. It's a conflict between people who felt like that you had to become a Jew and then become a Christian. You had to start obeying the Jewish law. You had to start doing things that a traditional Jewish person would do. And then you could accept this Christian faith. That was what they believed. And of course, Paul was going all over the Gentile world there in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey, and in Greece and Macedonia converting Gentiles to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he said, we have freedom in Christ. You don't need to submit to the Jewish law. In fact, this book of Galatians that we read is all about it, Paul dueling with people like that. So in the midst of this turmoil, Paul sees a need to reconcile with those who are called Judaizers. And the center of this belief is that the church in Jerusalem now, in a lot of places, you like to belong to the first church, you know, the folks that go to the country club, that, those type churches. Now, that's not this church, but I've served a lot of first Methodist churches around. But you want to talk about the first church, that's that church in Jerusalem, the first church ever established. 
And here in the midst of all the turmoil and conflict over this belief system is this first church in Jerusalem. And they're going through a tough time. We read about a great famine that afflicted the area. People were becoming economically destitute. And also the Christians there in the Jerusalem church are being ostracized because of the belief. So they're growing poor. They're feeling alienated. And here's the Apostle Paul. Even though he disagrees with a lot of what they're talking about, that he's saying, no, you got to be a Jew before you become a Christian. Paul wants to bridge that barrier, bridge that gap. And the way he sees that he can do this is by being generous. He's going around to all these Gentile churches and asking for an offering for this beleaguered Jerusalem church as a sign and a symbol that we are going to overcome the differences that we have. And I want this offering to be not just a sign that we want to help you in your need, but as a sign that even though we might have these differences, that our generosity is going to make our hearts one. Wow. That's pretty special, isn't it? And he, he sees there at the last few verses I read to you, the example of someone that has done this. And who is that? Jesus. He says that Jesus became poor so that we might become rich. We who were different than God are made one with Christ because of the sacrifice, the generosity of Christ's heart for us. He gave up his right to heaven to come down to earth, made himself intentionally poor so that we might know his riches of glory. Paul puts it this way in Romans 5. While we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. But there's a translation out there that says this, while we were enemies of God, Christ gave himself up, the most generous act in, the, in all of human history. Jesus Christ died for us while we're his enemies. He gave himself this very generous gift of his very life. You see, Acts of generosity help us build, uh, build bridges. They break down barriers. They enable our hearts to become more like one, even when we differ. You might have heard the story about this single mom that had taken her children out to dinner at one place, and, and her little son asked, Mama, can I say the prayer? Can I say the prayer? She said, yeah, go ahead. And he says a prayer, it goes something like this, is God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food. And God, I'll be a lot more thankful if we have ice cream for dinner. And peace and liberty and justice for all. Amen. And people around there started laughing that they heard him say this cute little prayer. But there's one woman that said, you know, that's a problem with our country this day and time. Kids praying like that. Imagine praying for ice cream. God's got a lot of better things in this world to think about than getting this kid ice cream. And the little boy heard this little lady grumbling about that. And, she, and he ran to his mama. Mama, mama, did I pray wrong? Is God mad at me? Is God mad at me for praying for ice cream? And the woman said, no, no, hon, it's okay. You can pray to God whatever you want. And so they had their dinner. And naturally, the prayer was answered. <laughs> the little boy and the other children got some ice cream. But while uh, they're sitting there at the table, a little old fella came up and said, hey, son, I want to tell you, God loved your prayer. God doesn't mind that you prayed for ice cream. In fact, ice cream's good for the soul. And then he kind of whispered, and some people pointing to that little old lady need something that's good for their soul. And then he winked at the boy and walked away. 
Well, the ice cream had come, and the little boy saw that dish of vanilla ice cream with hot fudge poured all over it, and he thought a minute. And you know what he did? He got that bowl of, of ice cream with hot fudge on it. He took it to that little lady and said, here, ma'am, ice cream is good for the soul. My soul is good. But here, I think you need this ice cream. And the little lady smiled a little bit and she said, I'm sorry that I criticized your prayer. And he said this, that's okay, ma'am. Hot fudge covers up a lot of bad things. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> Amen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And let us pray. No. Okay, yeah. Did you see that little boy? He set an example for us, right? He had a difference for this lady. That lady had heard him. And yet, out of an act of generosity, he goes and gives to her his bowl of hot fudge sundae. Well, that's what Jesus Christ has done for us. That's an example that Paul's trying to set for his, his fellow believers that, yeah, these folks may not agree with the way we are coming to faith, but guess what? We're gonna show that we, uh, we want to be in relationship and love with them. How about each and every one of us? Are, are there people in our hearts and minds that we may need to take a bowl of hot fudge Sunday to? or in this weather, a, a, a cup of hot cocoa? Are there people in our lives that we need to act generously towards so that we can start building bridges? Because you see what happens, folks, is when we do things like that, guess whose heart changes? Ours. Psychologists tell us that if you wanna change your attitude about things, change your actions because our hearts and our attitudes follow our actions. So if we want our hearts to change towards somebody, do something generous. Can you imagine how this world would change if people had that type of attitude, people that, with whom they differ, they start to do some nice things? Can you imagine Democrats taking cookies to Republicans? Can you, can you imagine Republicans cutting the grass of Democrats? I mean, how would things change in this world, in this country? And how about in your own life? How about in your own life? Who's somebody that you have a difference with? Someone that you might have a problem with? Someone that you have a disagreement with? Extend generosity and see how things change in your own heart. I believe Paul was doing this because he had written that horrible uh, letter in Galatians, not the letters horrible, but he says some pretty harsh things against Judaizers. And maybe he was trying to, trying to settle his own heart in taking up this offering. And as Jesus tells us, this has to begin in prayer. Because what's Jesus say about our enemies? You go and uh, kick them and hit them and spit on them? No, he says, pray for your enemies and so that you can learn to love them. So we start this generous action of reconciliation by doing something for somebody who we may not like at that moment or we may have a, a disagreement with, maybe someone even in our own household. We do something generous to heal relationship and heal our own hearts. Jesus says this, blessed are the peacemakers, and who are they called? Children 
of God. And can you think of anything that's more Christ-like than doing something as Jesus did, than being a peacemaker, being someone who acts generously towards somebody with whom you disagree or may have a tough time with? That's the heart of Jesus, isn't it? That's acting like Jesus would act. That's what it means to have a heart like our Savior. It's part of this series we're, we're talking about. And then Paul, in this letter, lifts up these Macedonian Christians. And Macedonia seems to be a poor province there in, in the, the Greek isthmus. And we don't know exactly why this is. You can read uh, different scholars talking about this. It may have been an area where the Romans came and plundered everything and everyone that was there left poor. It may have been that the Christians there, because of their faith, had lost a lot of their possessions. We, we don't know, but Paul lifts up these relatively poor Christians to these relatively rich Corinthians and says, look at these folks. They don't have a lot, but yet out of their gratefulness and out of their willingness to try to mend these, these uh, wounds between us and the Judaizing Christians, they gave. These people who don't have a lot are begging. Did you see the words there? They're really begging. I mean, they're, they're saying to Paul, hey, as he's running out the door, they're, stuck in che- they're stuffing checks in his pocket because they want so much to be a part of this ministry of generosity and reconciliation. They're an examples of givers, you see. You have somebody in that life, in your life that's like that, that you unbelievably generous in in what they give and who they are. You know, do do you have somebody like that that you've seen just give and give and give and you wonder how in the world they're doing that? On this All Saints Sunday, I hope that you can think of somebody like that. On this All Saints Sunday, uh, of course, remember lots of people, but someone that comes to mind in regards to what I'm talking about is a man named Frank Scott. Frank served as a pastor in the Alabama West Florida Conference for 50 years. He served during a very tough time uh, in that region while integration was, was breaking out all over that state. He served in a church where he had to help them come through a vote of whether they're gonna welcome black people into the church. He was in charge of our conferences Board of Church and Society, which is a group that set social policies for the conference. And he led that conference to say that we would be an open conference to people of all races. Not a very popular stance in that time. He served in Selma. Now, I know you all up here have heard of Selma during the integration crisis. And he and his children helped integrate the schools there. And he did it with a generous spirit, a generous attitude. Frank never served any of the large membership churches in our conference, but he's my hero. He was generous in spirit in every way. When he retired, he not having a lot of money, he came back home and settled into the house in which he was born. And he would come by the office. I knew it when it was 10 o'clock in the morning because Frank would come in and be spilling his coffee all over the the carpet in my office as he came in to greet me with a smile, an encouraging word, 
Sometimes out of his poverty, he gave generously to my family and to me and gave generously to the church and to the community around it. Frank was out at every habitat building project, working harder than anyone else, even though he's older than most of the people there. And there was never a nail that was left on the ground in that place. If Frank found a nail and he had one of those little magnets that went around and it was bent, Frank wasn't going to let it go to waste. He took that nail and straightened it out and we used it. Because you see, Frank saw the value in everything. Generous in spirit and in his giving. An example to me. Frank, at the age of 90, a couple years ago, went on to be with the Lord. And I heard that he was in the intensive care unit in the hospital there in Bruton. So I made the drive over from Dothan to go visit him there and didn't know what I'd find because I heard he was in serious shape. But he was awake and conscious. And if Frank was breathing, Frank was going to be talking. So Frank, <laughs> started, even though he was labored, he, he, he wanted to converse with me. And we talked for a while, shared stories. And then I had a prayer with him. But Frank wouldn't let me leave until he, in the state that he was in, on, a, on oxygen, having a hard time breathing, he prayed for me and for our family. Generous in spirit till the end. He died the next day. For Frank Scott, I give thanks for the generous saint that he was and still is. How about you? Who's that saint in your life that has shown a generosity of spirit even to overcome differences? And how about you? When you have left this life, will people say this about you, that you were a generous saint that blessed lives to help other people know grace and goodness and generosity because of who you are, may it be so for you and for me. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.